So I think the gospel has to be the thing that informs us, which means when we preach and teach, we better keep preaching the truths of the gospel to our people so that that reforms how they relate. All of your external relationships are just a visible example of your vertical relationship. Welcome to the Indoubt Podcast. Hey, welcome to the Indoubt Podcast show. My name is Isaac, your host, and with me today is Jake, who I haven't seen forever. Yeah, no, it's been a long time and I miss being here. I know. I miss you being in here with Do me. Do you? The yeah. side of me across the table speaking this, It's to the you? side of you mostly. Yeah. That's the mostly. Um, hey, you've started school. How's that going? Uh, it's all right. I'm not a huge school guy. Like, you, I don't what, love school. What do you mean you're not a sc- I'm oh, not okay. a real school sort of guy. Um, I much like enjoy just working, um, right. which sounds, I don't know if that's like contrary to most people, but... No, I just love being somewhere and working and getting stuff done and actually doing stuff with it instead of school. Right. You just sort of hand stuff in and it gets marked and that's kind of it. Right. But you yeah. have to learn before you go yeah, and do true. it. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. That's yeah. how school works. <laughs> that's that's kind of how it works. This is how life works that way, <laughs> exactly. unfortunately. But no, it's it's good. I'm having a good time. What what uh, what classes are you taking this semester? Um, I have two religious studies classes. One's on theology and the other one's on uh, biblical interpretation, I Ooh, think is nice. what it is. Yep. And then I have two English classes. One's on... Uh, medieval mysticism, and the other ones on fantasy literature, which are all that really is... cool and, yeah. uh, and interconnected in this really weird way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That was sweet. Um, well, as most of our listeners know, we're finishing our series called Confused Church this week. Uh, today's episode is all about community. It's called Confused Community. And, and for this episode, I thought of no better person to chat with than uh, pastor and author Jeff Vanderstelt uh, from the States. Uh, so without any more... Here's my conversation with Jeff. Well, I'm in the studio today with pastor and author Jeff Vanderstel. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Uh, Jeff is the visionary leader of the Soma family of churches and the lead teaching pastor at Doxa Church in Bellevue, Washington. That's sort of the textbook answer that I found offline. But why don't you just share a little bit about yourself uh, for those who don't know you, including myself, uh, how how you met Jesus, kind of what made you passionate about discipleship in the church community? Well, I grew up in a Christian home, but I was uh, one of those kids who walked down the aisle at eight to give Jesus what I generally say my afterlife, uh, but I didn't really give him my life. Uh, I didn't want to go to hell, of course, when I died, but uh, I wanted to live for me while I was alive. And uh, so I really learned how to live the Christian part, um, but but while I was at school and everywhere, everywhere else, I was a very different person. Uh, thankfully, I, I had very amazing parents who opened up their lives and home for ministry. And so I I learned without anybody telling me that Christians um, are hospitable, that they see ministry through work, through home, through recreation. Now, I don't know that our church ever affirmed that, but my parents lived that way, and I saw them lead many people to Christ and and disciple in their own unique way uh, people in what it meant to follow Jesus. When I was 21, uh, the Lord got a hold of my life while I was uh, away in Spain for school, uh, going to college there. And uh, surrender surrendered my life to Jesus at that point and said, wow. I don't know what you want, but I'll do anything you want. You just have to tell me. And a uh, <laughs> few, few weeks later, and I mean, I really meant, I mean, he, he he woke me up. I mean, he just grabbed a hold of my life and I knew I, I needed to surrender to him and trust my life to him. And a few weeks later, I got a uh, letter in the mail from a camp in Pennsylvania called Summer's Best Two Weeks. And they uh, had heard about me. I was an athlete in college. And so they were recruiting athletes and 
uh, Christian athletes to come work at their camp. Uh, little did they know what had just happened in my life. So it was uh, God's timing that I got the letter and got invited. Of course, I said yes and figured, well, I guess this is how you answer. So I'll just do what you're telling me to do. It seems like this is obvious. So I yeah. flew home after school back to Michigan, where I'm from. My mom greeted me at the airport with my dad, of course, and immediately she said, uh, uh, you're different, what happened, and I told her uh, about the change in my life. She could visibly see it yeah. uh, and I let her know I was going to spend the summer doing that work. And so I did work at that camp, found out that I had an ability to lead kids to Christ, uh, had a teaching gift, an evangelism gift, of which I eventually went home and said, man, I don't know what to do, told my youth pastor, I got one year left of business school at Calvin College. Seems like maybe I should just drop out and go to seminary or Bible school or something. And I didn't know what that meant. And he said, no, finish it. Like a lot of pastors probably would have done well to have gotten a business education since so much of what they're doing is organization and leadership and a lot of things that they aren't taught often at Bible school or seminary. So he said, you can get your education by doing ministry with me and then finish your your degree as well. And so I I was mentored under him. While I finished my degree at at Calvin, I worked with him in the youth ministry and eventually uh, got a job at a Christian Reformed church in Seattle, Washington, where I met my wife and served there for six years. Then I transferred to a church in in Chicago where the youth pastor had been involved with his students inappropriately and went to prison for it. And uh, so just a heartbreaking story, but the Lord let us see uh, a, a restoration and a healing in that youth ministry, and it was beautiful. And then I got called by Willow Creek to do a similar kind of thing. They had had a fallout in their leadership, and they asked if I'd step in and rebuild there. And in doing so, we we rebuilt a youth ministry that went from just centralized in one building to localized at uh, many around many school campuses, about 27 different uh, localized uh ministries, which really cut my teeth for me on what it looks like to do what we now call missional communities. And, uh, but it gave me a heart all along. I'd been trained by Sun Life Youth Ministries with my first youth pastor. And it gave me a heart to see students be disciples who could make disciples. And I think I became disillusioned at one point looking at the church and realizing that it seemed, at least from my perspective, that many in the many adults in the church had never ever done what so many of the youth in my youth ministries had done, which is lead someone to Christ, develop them in, into a disciple of Jesus, and then teach them to do the same. And I had watched students get, you know, second, even sometimes third generation discipleship uh, opportunities where they'd see a friend come to Christ who would lead another friend to Christ uh, while they were within three or four years of, of my student ministries. And so I thought, man, how come more adults aren't experiencing this yeah, really? uh, in their Christian life? And it it's what led me to eventually move back to Seattle and plant a church, which we called SOMA. And our, our fundamental purpose in doing it was we want to be obedient to the mission of Jesus to make disciples who make disciples so Jesus can be glorified in the everyday stuff of life and and teach them how to live on mission everywhere they go versus just on Sunday. And uh, by God's grace, that started with one missional community, multiplied out many, many times uh, to hundreds and hundreds of people who got trained. And it led to now a family of churches that's all around North America called SOMA. And um, and then more recently, a year and a half, well, two years ago now, I was called uh, by what was Mars Hill uh, and asked if in their kind of, as their that whole thing fell apart, 
They asked if I would come and step into what was Mars Hill Bellevue, which is where Mark Driscoll preached live, and um, asked if I would restart that church out of what had remained and begin a new church. And so I've been doing that for the... What a job. Yeah, I've been doing that for the last (laughs) 19 months. And uh, by God's grace, uh, we've been able to do do a good work. God's been so kind to us. And we're seeing many, many people begin to get what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. That's very cool. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us, Jeff. That's great. We are in our third and final week of our Confused Church series. We're speaking into some of the church's kind of kind of crucial areas in the church, like community, the pastor, listening to the pastor and worshiping through music, um, sort of helping bring some clarity to confusion that many Christians have. And uh, for our final week, we're, we're talking about community, talking about what discipleship next to brothers and sisters in Christ really looks like today, you know, in, in the West here. What does that look like to be be the church together? So let's just get right into it. Um, like I already said, I, I find personally many Christians in our culture don't really understand what community is supposed to look like uh, in their church. You know, they've read Acts 2 and, they, you know, they've heard sermons preached on it, but then when they look at their community groups or whatever, they don't really see that together. So I I guess it's always good to start off with this. How do we see community within the church body live and act in in the New Testament? Well, I think you first of all have to look at Jesus and his disciples because um, he's the prototype of of the perfect human life. He came to show us what the Father's like and uh, of course, was led by the Spirit. So you see that the Trinitarian nature of the of God in the very person of Christ, and uh, the Trinity is our perfect picture of community because it is the it is what we came from, and we are made in the image of God. And so we should look to Father, Son, Holy Spirit as our as our picture of what community looks like. And of course, that's very familial in nature, and that's why Jesus, when he has his disciples with him, and his mother and brothers, you know, and sisters are looking for him, and uh, they they tell him that he says, "Well, who are my, my who are my mother and my brothers and sisters? Those who do the will of my Father." Which, in other words, he's saying those who are really children of God are the family of God. And so then you look around and say, "Okay, we're supposed to." Community has its kind of fundamental understanding as family. Uh, that we we would operate like a family would, and the perfect family is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now we on earth are the expression of that as the children of God, with Jesus as our older brother. And so now our our job, I think, is to believe that first, that we really do have God as Father, Jesus as brother, and to then say, if that's the case, if that's who we truly are, then we take our cues from the relationship of, of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and how that gets worked out in dem- demonstrative ways with his disciples. So I think that's where it begins. I think the, the narrative of Acts is the picture of what that looks like in many cultures so that you can see the that it looks different in each place, but it's still the same idea, which is family. And I think the church now has to say not how would we live as family if we did it like I did growing up, but rather how would we live as family if it modeled the perfect one? Right. Uh, because that we are the we are the picture of what will be, of course, you know, in increasingly uh, sanctified ways, we're still far from what should be, but we should be longing for that future yeah. family that will be perfected because of Christ's final work. And so that I think that's that should be the picture of community that we as the church would strive for, desire for, and even not just strive for, it is who we are. The Bible says it's who we are. We have to then live right. into yeah. our identity versus try to be something. We already are it, but we got to stop believing the lies the, the world tells us, stop living in the fear that the enemy brings 
lives our way, stop giving into the flesh that really is our old nature, not our new. Exactly. And so I think that's what, what it looks like to begin to do it with. That's our picture. Right. That's good. Uh, you, you talk about the idea of e- even if you uh, aren't, even if you're struggling with sort of being in the family, you should at least be striving towards it and desiring uh, to live that kind of family life with with the church, but why do so many Christians struggle with this with this idea, even the desire to do it? Uh, why why are they struggling? Well, I mean, I think I think it goes back to Adam and Eve. If you want to go back that far, because fundamentally, when we stop believing who God says we are and what God has done, we start trusting in our own words and our own work, or someone else's words over our life, or someone else's work done to our life. Mm-hmm. Then we are like Adam and Eve in that we take matters into our own hands, which leads to guilt, shame, and fear, which leads to hiding and and blaming and shaming uh, one another. And so I think right. I think most Christians are still living with Adam as their head instead of Jesus as their head, even though that's not true. They're still living that way. And so I think it, we have to be called to ongoing repentance to actually say, why am I afraid to entrust my life to someone else? Let's get at the heart of that versus just the behavior. Let's get at the, what I usually say is get at the root of your fruit. Like look at the out, external behavior. It reveals your internal belief. And so most of us are not taking the time to capture every thought, like Paul says to the Corinthian church, to make sure it's in obedience to Christ, which means it's coming under the truth of Jesus and who we are in Christ. I think we live with a lot of fear. We live with a lot of shame. We live with a lot of guilt. Um, and so, therefore, we don't feel free to to come right. out of hiding, to be known for who we really are, uh, because we still believe in our own works justifying us. We're afraid to be honest about how short we fall, instead of going, "No, I trust in Christ's work, so I can I can tell you, I'm a failure. I've messed up. I make mistakes. I sin. My thought life is not something I'm proud of. But you know what? I, the Lord says, the Word says, I am holy and blameless in Christ." And therefore, God's word will trump my word. God's work trumps my work. And therefore, I can come out of hiding. But I think most Christians are still living in it with so much unbelief that the engagement at that level of true kind of naked and unashamed fellowship or community is just almost unheard of for most Christians. That's really good. You and I both know that living in urban areas uh, on the West Coast here, uh, we're just your neighbors up in Vancouver here, but cultural tendencies can obviously uh, seep into the church, uh, into the church body. So the next question would be, how can church bodies, local churches, protect themselves from producing unhealthy cliques uh, within within their body? Well, in some ways, it would be the same answer. So much of the the idea of finding a clique is finding someone who I feel comfortable with, who is like me. Right. And so the gospel speaks into that and says, God didn't choose those who were like him. He chose those who were not like him. He chose sinners, not saints, to then love and make saints. And and so the very diversification of the family of God, that God the Father, who is perfect and holy, would choose to love his enemies, as Romans 5, 8 says, and then make us sons of God, should inform then how we love others, that we don't love those who like what we like, do what we do, act like we act, but rather we're willing to love our enemies like the Father loved us. We're willing to love those unlike us because God loved us when we were unlike Him. So I think the gospel has to be the thing that informs us, which means when we preach and teach, we better keep preaching the truths of the gospel to our people so that that reforms how they relate. Because all of your external relationships are just an, a visible example or, or revelation of your your. Uh, your vertical relationship, that how you see your relationship with God gets 
gets completely displayed in how you relate to other people. So if I, I think I was deserving of God's love or that I was so much like God that he chose me, then that's how I'll choose my relationships and engage. But if I really believe that, no, he chose me when I was not like him, then, and if I really believe that and my heart's captured by that, then I engage in other relationships in the same way. I love those who aren't like me. I love those who are my enemies because that's the love I know. So the, the definition of the love right. you know from the Father will actually be expressed in the love you have for other people. Uh, so when we see someone, I, I'm reminded uh, of Peter and Paul in Galatians 2. Paul talks about how Peter was uh, eating with the Gentiles, but then when the circumcision party came, he got up and he was in fear of them. And then Paul opposed him to his to his face because he led other people astray and everything like that. If we see that in our churches, um, can we be, I guess, like Paul, I guess, and 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 talk to people about that and like be straight up to them if we see them sort of making people like... Uh, I guess, act in hypocrisy? Yeah, I think we have to. Uh, I think uh, the caveat I give to that is that we speak to them to the degree at which, uh, to their maturity level, though. So Peter, of course, you can, Paul's very direct, very uh, straightforward, because uh, Peter is a lot further along in his faith than a brand new Christian might be. And so I think we've got to, you know, Paul talks about restoring our our brothers who've fallen into sin gently. Uh, He talked, First John talks about, I'd write to you, you know, sons, I write to you, you know, fathers. He has different categories even for spiritual maturity. And so just like I, I dealt with my two-year-old differently than I do my, when, my, when she was 14, uh, I, we have to do that as well in the church and be mindful of people's maturity so we don't crush them in the way we bring the gospel truths to bear on their life. Uh, our, our last question here before we wrap it up. When it comes to church groups, I feel like churches kind of offer two types. If you go into a church, they usually offer two types of sort of discipleship groups, I guess. There's one community or life group sort of style, and then there's the Bible study or discipleship. Um, what What are your thoughts on this system? Because I see it everywhere. And, and in your studies and experience, do you see a better way than just offering these kind of two styles? Yeah, it seems like community groups tend to uh, exist to build this, uh, this picture of family that I've been talking about, loving one another like brothers and sisters. Right. And then Bible studies tend to be more like, hey, we got to study the Word. And we actually have landed on what we call missional communities, uh, which really we, we define them through our baptismal identity, being baptized in the name of the Father, therefore we're family, being baptized in the name of the Son, therefore we're servants, baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, therefore we're missionaries. And so we basically say a missional community is a family of servant missionaries send as disciples who make disciples. And for us, it means being family. We love one another like brothers and sisters. Being servants mean we learn how to submit increasingly to the lordship of Jesus Christ and express that in tangible forms of service to others. And then being missionaries, we, we are submitted to the word of God. That's where we're going to study our Bible, know it well, but we expect that that's going to lead to us proclaiming the truth to other people that are right. not yet believers and, and living that truth so they can see it. So I think the problem with Bible studies often is that people study the Bible but never do it, and or they, they talk about how they should do something, but then they never do it with even each other. The problem with community right. groups yeah. is they try to be a loving community, but they lose the authority of God's word. And then the problem with both of them is that neither one seemed to be outward facing in that we're called to be missionaries to the world. Uh, so I, I want to live in that, that tension of what I call community on mission, 
that we're meant to love each other towards Jesus through the Word and empowered by the Spirit, and we're sent out to a world who doesn't yet know Jesus to be his disciples who make disciples together. If someone's listening right now and they, they're, they're in our church and they're a, they would think of themselves as a mature believer and they're just, their heart's on fire listening to you talk about that, uh, what's the first step they can do to sort of start this sort of missional living in their church? Well, I'd say minimally, just just begin to identify some people that want to do it together, identify a people group that you want to reach, and um, prayerfully consider, Lord, what would it look like if we lived like family throughout the week, gave tangible expression to Jesus's love by the way we serve people, and then pray that God gives us the, the knowledge through his word, as well as the power through his spirit, to not only believe the gospel, but to begin to proclaim it and do it together in life on community throughout the week. That's what I'd say. Just see if God gives you those kinds of people. If you want more help on that, um, I'd say we've got some resources that could help you at saturatetheworld.com where we're helping people learn how to live that way. Uh, I wrote a book called Saturate that teaches people how to do that, as well as a field guide that actually will guide you through a, an eight-week process with a group to begin to transition from just being a community group or a Bible study to be in a missional community. Awesome. Uh, so those would be tools that might help people. Awesome. And, and, and tying into that, to wrap it up, um, if people want to know more about you or, or read your books or know more about SOMA, uh, where can they go and what should they, what should they do, Jeff? Well, I think saturatetheworld.com would be the best place to go where they can probably find lots of other things from there. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much, Jeff, uh, for having this quick conversation with us on uh, Community. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Well, that was my conversation with Jeff Vanderstelt. It's kind of funny. I Until he told me in the conversation, I had yeah. no idea that he was the guy that they brought in to like help the church that Mark Driscoll oh, Yeah, I was kind of shocked when I heard that. I was like, whoa. And I was like, that, that means serious business. Well, here. it would be a big job because yeah, I mean, here you have definitely. a church with all these people yeah. and they're all hurt and kind of broken. Yeah, from no, everything. definitely. And then they bring in this guy to like come in and, and like help sort of be like, hey, we're still, we're still going to be the church. Yeah, which must have been a huge like um, humbling experience. Or you must have had to stay humble yeah. in that experience because yeah, yeah, sure. it's such a big ministry there. Yeah, that would be very tough. And speaking of tough, Small groups are tough. Yeah, I lead a small group of young adults, and it's definitely a challenge, um, especially like Jeff was talking about, of sort of integrating them into community. Right. Because all young adults really want to do is just be with other young adults and have their cool sort of ministry (laughs) and be separated from the church because everybody else doesn't know what they're talking about. They're too old or they're too young, and we don't want to hang out with the uncool young people or the the um, bigoted old people or whatever. So it's a definite challenge for yeah. me to sort of integrate them with the rest of the church community. Right. Well, I remember even like growing up, I think it was 2010, I started to like help uh, participate and then end up kind of help lead mm-hmm. uh, the young adults at my church. And it was it was sort of like this, I guess, a missional kind of group. Yeah. Um, but man, it, it's just hard because again, you have you have half the group that doesn't even go to the church, right? Sure, yeah, absolutely. And they don't know where their faith is at exactly. Yeah. And a lot of times it just ends up being this sort of outreach where mm-hmm. it's like, come hang out with us. We'll play a game. We'll eat food together. We'll build this yeah. community. And sometimes we will talk about Jesus or faith, but everyone, like all those people that are questioning, just kind of sit silently. Whereas what Jeff's kind of talking about, which is on my heart now, and actually my wife and I, we we really do want to start this at our own, in our own home, is create a little bit more of like this intentional missional thing where we actually contact certain people and be like, hey, let's let's do this together and start living this kind of discipleship kind of life out. Definitely. 
out out of our home because I think there's a place for that kind of outreach sort of time where it's like let's build communities, let people feel loved here but then here's this other kind of more intentional group where it's like let's let's eat and let's glorify god in that sure. and let's let's pray let's glorify god in that let's read the word let's glorify, and then let's go serve together you know yeah. so leave more th- missional no i think that's right i think you get a danger um and it, it's on the either side of the poles mm-hmm. here is because what can so easily happen right is that all your group whether that's a, a youth group or a young adults group um or a any kind of community group, yeah, yeah, yeah. all it can become is just a safe place. Oh, yeah. And not that that's wrong in itself, right. but if it's all that it is, yeah. then you're probably not serving people well, very well. Jesus didn't say, hey, come, let's let's just have a, let's let's just just hang a safe out, place. <laughs> and it's okay, and you can feel comfortable here, and you can be who yeah, you yeah. are and whatever. And that's the thing. I heard a quote the other day, and this was um, really impactful for me. Jesus calls you to come as you are, not stay as you are. Yeah. And that's sort of like this vision of what I'm trying to do with my young adults group right, right. now. It's, and it's kind of a... A synergy of two things right. of the community group, but also of the almost Bible study, but also almost a sermon type thing. Right. Where I come in and I've prepped everything and I have right. it all prepared. But what happens is I try to lead them in with questions yeah. that they have so we can talk about what's on their heart, because that's incredibly important, not just yeah, yeah. what's on my heart. Um, so we speak to them, but also we do have that biblical aspect of it right. that we are learning and growing from that as well, exactly. not just hearing it and going, oh, that's nice, and I feel comfortable here. Right. Um, but through that as well, we have community nights where we go, and we have one night every month we go and we have a dinner at a different person's house in the community, yeah. so I can encourage them to engage with the community as well. Yeah, exactly. And then we'll also have service nights where we go out and serve the community that's too. That's really cool. And yeah. I think when you do that, those kind of community nights, you're sort of... Uh, helping facilitate this family-like kind of yeah. mess, you know? And that's what Jeff talks about too. He's like, the church is a family, so we have yeah. to grow that way. And I actually really loved what Jeff said about the whole um, the whole idea of their missional living. They uh, sort of base it around the whole idea of baptism. I don't remember that part, but he's like, uh, in the sense of that the Lord is, like we're baptized into the Father. Sure. That's the family aspect. So we, yeah. we are together as a family with God as our mm-hmm. Father. Yes, and then the yes. Son, uh, servant, right? Yeah. And we need to be serving one another and the community yeah. together as a family yeah. with God as our Father. No, it's huge. And then finally, Holy Spirit, yeah. which we are missionaries at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I run into people a lot, and I used to be a youth worker, so I worked right. with a lot of at-risk youth, who the first thing that they would say when I mentioned God the Father is, no, 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 no. Like, yeah. I don't want anything to do with a father because my father is awful. Right. Or my father abused me. Right. And the, the most important thing I think that we need to do is like what Jeff said is gauge our community, our family, not off of even our humanity, but exactly. off Christ and off of God. Yeah, yeah. So we can say, I understand that your father may be yeah. abusive or hurtful or right. your mother or your brother or someone like that. Yeah. Who we should be gauging it off of is going to the father and saying, oh, I see. Yeah. And now I understand what a father should be, yeah. and I love him because he is perfect in that. Well, exactly. And so is Christ in our brotherhood. He's perfect in yeah. that. The, tr- the Trinity is the perfect look of a family, mm-hmm. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that's just, and that's the exact, that's, that is the look of the perfect, the perfect family. Yeah. So that's awesome. Uh, that wraps up the Indo podcast uh, for today. And it actually wraps up our series uh, of Confused Church. To hear the previous two episodes in this series and to hear many more other episodes, head to indo.ca. And there you're also going to find relevant articles and videos to help encourage you in your faith and your walk with walk with Christ. If you have any questions that you have as well, uh, comment on this post, on this episode post on Facebook. Uh, tweet us and uh, follow us on Instagram. I'm Isaac. I'm Jake. And this was the Indo podcast. Podcast.
The In Doubt podcast is a part of Back to the Bible Canada's Young Adult Ministry, In Doubt. All of Back to the Bible Canada's ministry programs and resources are created for the purpose of leading people forward in their walk with Jesus every day. For more information on all things Back to the Bible Canada, visit backtothebible.ca.